Hey everybody, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of the House of Bricks. If you've been following us for a while, you know we've had some amazing guests, including Super Bowl champions, NBA champions, guys in the Basketball Hall of Fame, top CEOs, doctors changing the landscape of healthcare. And as you know, I'm very selective on the guests that I do have on my show. And today, I'd like to welcome Brooks Bollinger to the House of Bricks. Brooks, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me. No, it's our honor. And you and I connected recently about a month ago. So you're local here in Minnesota. I'm new to the area, but I know a lot about you. For our listeners that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks. I, um, I When you went through that list of uh, folks you've had on the podcast, I always say uh, uh, I didn't play at the highest level, or I played at the highest level, but I, I showered with the guys who, who did play at the highest level. Um, so I was fortunate enough. I'm, I'm a director of uh, wealth management at Bell Bank, uh, regional family-owned bank here in the Twin Cities. Uh, been here for almost five years. And really been in the financial services industry for, for almost a decade now. Um, prior to that, I was a college football coach, uh, coached a little bit of high school. Uh, and that was all after uh, a, a playing career. I played quarterback uh, at the University of Wisconsin uh, and then played eight years professionally. Uh, had a, started with the New York Jets, had a stint with the uh, Minnesota Vikings, Dallas Cowboys, uh, and then finished a little league called the UFL um, for Jay Gruden and Sean McVay. So, uh, yeah, got to have some fun in football and, and now take that and, and apply it to the business world. So it's been a fun stretch. And all the while, um, I'm, as you mentioned, I, I married a Minnesota gal. So uh, this is where I'll probably be buried. Um, and uh, we have we have five kids. So uh, life is full. Well, you covered a lot there. And we're going to get into your actually – one of the few professional athletes that's actually able to transition right life after sports. Most players either end up bankrupt or <laughs> in a difficult situation, not realizing how short the shelf life can be as an athlete. So we'll talk about your professional career after, but I, I know in high school you had some success as a high school quarterback. Did you only play one sport or were you a multi-sport athlete? Well, I was I was really fortunate. I grew up in Grand Forks, North Dakota, um, so mid to small town uh, in in the upper Midwest. And my dad was the offensive coordinator at the University of North Dakota. And uh, I always say we didn't we didn't grow up with a ton of money, but we had the keys to the gym. Uh, so I'm the oldest of four, and was just kind of a gym rat. Uh, loved hoops at an early age. Got to go to all the University of North Dakota games for every sport. Uh, and, and be on the sidelines during games and practice and, and be around the guys. Those were my heroes growing up, uh, were my dad's players at the University of North Dakota. And, and I got to, you know, be in relationship with them and kind of throw some drills during practice. And uh, and then beyond that, Grand Forks was a – and that, you know, uh, part of the country was, was a lot of fun because we, we had some good athletes at the time in that region. And we all just played whatever sport was the next season. Um, the only sport I didn't really play was hockey, uh, which in that part of the country, uh, makes it a little more difficult to get a prom date, but, um, I played, uh, played football, basketball, baseball, uh, and, and ran some track as well. So, uh, that was, that was what I knew. It's who I was. I just went from season to season and 
had some great teammates and, and had some success in, in, in all the sports. So what was it like having a coach as a dad? Was he pretty disciplined with you? Held you accountable or was he more hands off? And when you figure it out on your own, you'll be more successful anyway than me telling you everything. What was the balance there and how did he approach it? Yeah. He, um, he provided me a lot of opportunities. So not just him, but, but the staff that he had, and again, it was a different time in college sports that staff stuck together for, um, for a long time and, and they were great to me. So I always just had the opportunity to be around it. He would always be there to, to show up when he needed to, to answer questions, to play catch. You know, I, I look at it now, whether it was hitting ground balls in the backyard or, or playing catch or any, you know, rebounding to go to the gym at nine o'clock at night and rebound while I shot some threes. You know, he's always just willing to, to show up and have those conversations. And, you know, you kind of take it for granted when you have it. Now with having five kids, I'm like, damn, I'm tired. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it, uh, it's not as easy as he made it look, but he, he, he didn't, uh, I actually give him some, a hard time now because even when I was going through the recruiting process and him as a college coach, he, he never really overstepped the line. He never told me what I should be doing. He never told me, you know, go this way. Here's the roadmap and, and give me the answers to the test. He, he, he allowed me to experience it and, and, um, and go through it and it worked out. So I, I don't know if there's a perfect way, but um, yeah, he, he just showed up and, and provided me those opportunities and, and it was great. And we have a great relationship as a result. So you and I talked about this at breakfast and you sports, what it is today has definitely changed from what it was when you and I were growing up, right? Playing catch with your dad in the backyard or shooting hoops and playing a game of horse or whatever it was, wiffle ball. It seems today's youth, like everything is so structured. It's all keeping up with the Joneses. It's private lessons. It's year round sports. Like it just, it's a different level. So I go through, you know, the challenge of the cost just as a parent has changed as well. Like if I'm paying this guy 150 bucks for an hour lesson for you to skate and you don't come off yeah. and your feet are bleeding because you weren't working so hard. <laughs> like I'm not doing this anymore. And so I'm just wondering how you're approaching that with your kids and some advice that you may have from parents. Cause you, you say you showered with the elite or whatever, but like you made it to the half a percent of football players to ever play, to play at a professional level. So you did something very elite and, and you have that experience. So how are you approaching it with your kids? Yeah, well, I got really good at handoffs. So, um, no, I, it's interesting. I I've seen the, the sports lens, um, is in, in a number of ways. And some of those ways, most people, I've never seen. I see, I've seen it as a player at every level. I've seen it as a coach's kid. I've seen it as a high school coach, a college coach, and now as a, as a parent. Um, my my wife was also um, a really talented athlete. She played soccer at the University of Wisconsin, um, and is ultra competitive. Uh, we 
went through a lot of Wii remotes back when Wii Sports was a thing because uh, she would smash them off the walls uh, every time I beat her. So my, my kids definitely have that competitive sports gene in that, in that environment. And, and I started, I remember when the kids were young, I actually had a conversation with my neighbor and I, I think my oldest was six or seven. And, and she said, hey, are, are you guys going to start miles in hockey this, this winter? I said, uh, you know, he's still doing a lot of stuff. I think we'll wait till next year. And she goes, oh, you better not wait too long or he won't make it. And that really hit me. I, I called my buddy who who played professional hockey, and I was just like, man, here we are, a couple of mid-30s guys trying to figure life out, and we made it, right? Mm-hmm. And and where are we trying to make it? Where's everybody trying to make it at the end of the day? And and this has been a very passionate subject of mine. And and I know, having gone through it now and entered into that, even having the information that I have through my experiences, it still caused anxiety in me and my wife. It still forces a lot of difficult decisions as to should we invest time and money in this resource? Are we doing what's best for our son? Are we being good parents? And, you know, I guess my belief is that what we lost along the way was what is the purpose of these sports? Why are they created? Well, if the answer is not to somehow develop my child and make them a better human and teach them something to better themselves, then it's the wrong answer, right? So that's a starting point. And then from there, it it doesn't necessarily get easy. Um, but I think if you can constantly keep putting it through that lens as how is it helping them, I think as this machine has gotten built, college all the way down to youth, the machine has gotten big and and money drives a lot of things in this world. I mean, that's just the way it is. So as the machine's gotten bigger, um, I think people have felt the pull in a lot of different directions and it gets harder and harder to stick to that lens. And, And where we get confused sometimes is we think by providing them every opportunity, we're doing our job as a parent, right? And you say, how's your son doing? Like, he's doing great. I mean, he made the top team and how do you think he's doing? And it's like, no, how's your son doing? Right. And, and at some point, so I'll say it this way. I mean, I, I, the reason I got into the financial services industry is because, I mean, you mentioned at the, at the top players making that transition. Well, I lived through that and all watched all my buddies live through it. And it's well documented the mistakes that athletes make and some of the struggles they have financially and, um, in their professional life post playing. But what I saw was, I don't think this industry and the people around these players are showing up in the way they should to support them in that transition and truly build a foundation that can allow them to successfully transition. It's, it becomes a little bit um, of, of a conundrum. Now, you talk about how big this machine has gotten. I see that happening with kids at a younger and younger age. So now all of a sudden, my, my daughter's a, a good soccer player and uh, she's on a, on a club here. Well, now at 11, 12, 13 years old, you're getting pushed down the track where like, hey, this is your round. This is the investment you got to make. We're expecting a return on our investment. So that same thing that happens to those pro athletes where it, it becomes their identity is now happening at a younger and younger age. And I think that's part of the reason that we're seeing so many mental health issues um, in athletes today and, and, and they're having a tougher time. Some of them are quitting at an earlier age because 
because it's become such a big part and so all-encompassing at such a young age, not only for the individual kid, but for the family. So I look at my kids and I'm like, hey, listen, we have five kids. We have seven humans in this family, okay? Our life and our schedule, although it may seem that way, cannot completely revolve around your hockey, football, you know, whatever that thing is. And you just see so much of it. Now everybody's trying to do the right thing, you know, and, and I've talked to people about it before and they say, well, like when I recruited nationally, right. So I, when I was at Pitt coaching football and, you know, the coaches tell you the parents are crazy and the parents tell you the coaches are crazy. And they both say these trainers, third party trainers are crazy. And the camp providers are crazy. Well, everybody's not crazy. Okay. (laughs) We're not all crazy. We're good people trying to do the right thing. And I believe that like it's nobody's fault, but I think starting to have conversations and acknowledging where some of those pressure points are and what are the true outcomes of the path we've gone down. So it's a, it's a big complex monster and it's, and it's hard to stop. But, but I think that, you know, I, I I say it this way. I, I think I tell parents this, I say, when I was growing up, and if you ask me for the longest time, I'd say, you know, why do you play sports? It's going to build character, build selflessness, how to work with a team, how to handle success, how to handle, there's all these values in it. I would say today, throwing them down the machine that's been built, there's a lot of things working against the development of those values. And I would say, actually, if you're not very intentional, what you're probably creating is um, more more selfishness, more entitlement, et cetera. So I, I think given the machine today, it's all good. You can still do it. I mean, shoot, are you kidding me? You and I, I, I would have been, I would have gone nuts if we had the cool uniforms they have, the, the travel schedule, the opportunity. It's awesome. Like, great. But you have to, I think, spend a lot more time kind of deprogramming your kid and trying to understand and put it in perspective. And it's just not easy. Yeah. You said a lot of great things in there and it's not just the jerseys and all the swag that these kids get, but it starts with eight, nine years old, getting a thousand dollar iPhone to play with. I think for my eighth birthday, my dad gave me a crown Royal bag with marbles in it. So that was the difference between today's, youth and and where we grew up the the part i didn't even get to on that is everything i said plus you know you said it with the phone now it feels good right like i i have a social media platform and it feels like people really care about my seven on seven competition in february in phoenix and now i get to post it and give attention and build this this identity around so yeah it's compounded by all that stuff For sure. And what I want to talk to you about is just the mental health piece that you mentioned, right? Those pressures that kids are experiencing now was reserved for professional athletes. Like it was the best to get on the top 10 on SportsCenter when we were just watching that. Now today, a kid can post any clip that his mom made and put it on his Instagram and his 500 friends like it. It was was really special to be on TV or in the news and now you can be there. But the mental health piece, like, did you ever reach a point 
in your career when you wanted to quit? You didn't like the coach, you didn't like your team, or you weren't getting the reps that you thought you should get. Did you ever think about quitting and how did you get through that? Hmm. I don't think I ever thought about quitting. I, I think it was so wired into me I, and the way I grew up. I didn't think about um, like quitting the team. I, uh, I definitely wrestled with failure. I, I didn't know how to handle failure. I, I, I guess it's hard to explain because quitting wasn't really the option, but um, it, it affected me in, in really negative ways. Um, and, and really was detrimental to, I think, uh, how I continued to show up for my team. So it's, a it's a, it's a difficult thing that you see a lot with these kids. And, and I think that, you know, we've made it so easy to where I think this is probably one of the big changes was, um, you know, and partially cause I grew up with my dad staying at one place for a long time, loving the institution. Like probably one of the transitions, like when I played at Wisconsin, it was simple. I, I played for the W inside of the helmet, my teammates, like that made sense to me. And, and I rode the ups and downs. And if it wasn't me and I had to support Jim Sorgi, then that's what I had to do. But it was about, now you go to the NFL, it's like, Hey, you do your job so we can win. And you're mm -hmm. kind of playing for, for yourself and knowing that you might show up and not have a job. So there was, that was that conflict for me. Now I think we've taken that conflict and pushed it down, right? Because if, if you don't like your high school team or you don't like your club team or you get a raw deal based on the coach doesn't like you or whatever your perception is, what do you do? You go you find leave. a new team. Right. <laughs> you go find a new team and, and that's normalized. It's normalized in college now, high school, um, at every level. And, and I think at the end of the day, I go back to my original thing. What is that really accomplishing? What is that really teaching a kid? Um, and, and I'm not saying there's not a time where people shouldn't leave. I mean, I, I, I've been there, you know, and, and it doesn't mean never, these aren't all black and white things, but it's just become really easy to go. Hey, and you know, I, I think there's some kids that, uh, my first high school coaching job was really high in hockey school. And I was, I was always recruiting the, the kids who wouldn't make the hockey team. Right. And, and a mom came to me one time and kid was devastated. Right. Sophomore, junior year, he gets cut from hockey. Doesn't know what he's going to do. Ends up playing football and lacrosse, completely pivoting, pouring himself into it, had the time of his life. Right. And I think developed and it, and it was so healthy for that kid to have, I have to go through that adversity like a GPS. All of a sudden there's a new destination. You got to reroute. You got to reprioritize. You got to pivot. And, and, and he made a new path and he was better for it. And, and I don't think we challenge kids to do that, to face that adversity. And I'm like, Hey, you weren't good enough. You're not good enough. Well, it's Deal good that you it. talk about that. So as you know, the name of our podcast is the house of bricks and we teach people to use life's experiences like bricks. You can either carry all of your challenges with you, which weighs you down, or you can lay them down to build a strong foundation. Every, what we, we don't even use the F word failure. It's more just, you know, I always ask my kids, what did you learn, right? What did you learn from this experience? And that's really helping them to think 
that in a way that's going to carry on in life because you don't like your coach. Well, guess what? You're going to get a job and you don't like your boss or you're going to get you know, be on a team. You don't like your teammates or someone's getting favor other than you just wait until you get a job. Right. Uh, it's the it's the same thing. And that's why I love the connection between sports and business. I think it prepares people like you said, what are we trying to accomplish? It prepares them for all of life. You're competing, you're trying to fit in, you be in a team environment, you got goals, you're trying to achieve them. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And how do you, how do you handle that? And, and, and so with that, I do want to talk about a specific football experience that you had with the University of Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. You scored a touchdown. Just for our listeners, can you really take us there? Just what what class you were, situation in the game, what was going through your head, if you could paint paint a good picture for us. I was really lucky in that my first year at Wisconsin, I redshirted. Uh, some, some kids have a problem with that I, because I grew up around – my dad's program and and most most of the players redshirted. I, I was I wanted it. I wanted a year to get stronger and learn. And you know, I don't know if you know the football in you know North Dakota. You can imagine I, I wasn't ready. I, I needed to develop and and learn a lot. So redshirted my first year, and we won the Big Ten and, and went to the Rose Bowl. Played UCLA, unbelievable game. Got to stand on the sidelines and kind of take it in. It was unreal. So then the next year, um, I'm a redshirt freshman and I, I'm kind of competing with a senior and we go back and forth. And, um, and then he, I, I was playing less and less the first few games. And then, uh, he gets hurt against Michigan. Uh, and I, I come in in the, in the second half and kind of bring us back. We, we weren't able to win the game, but there's a two thirty, you know, nationally televised, um, uh, Brent Musburger doing the game. It was just, and it was a big stage. And I, and I showed up and played. I'm like, okay, I can do this. I, I think I can do this. And the next week, I got my first start, which was at Ohio State uh, in the horseshoe. Again, 2.30 game. And uh, we're down 17 nothing in that game. And I was just trying to survive. Went on a two-minute drive at the end of the half, kicked a field goal. I remember, never forget John Favre, one of our DNs grabbed me and he said, hey, if you play like that, we're going to win this game. I was like, let's go. We come on the second half, everything went our way. We scored 42 unanswered points at the horseshoe, like Barry Alvarez said. He said, I've never seen them leave the horseshoe early because they're getting their butts kicked so bad, right? And uh, it was a pretty fun day. You know, get interviewed by Lynn Swan at midfield and kind of run an off, and it's like, and it was a whirlwind from there. We won nine straight including the Rose Bowl. So all of a sudden you're in Pasadena and, you know, you're on the Jay Leno show and, and you're doing a pregame production meeting with Dan Fouts. Um, and, uh, uh, oh, why am I blanking on his name? Oh, Nelly. Um, Jackson? Yeah, Keith Jackson. Keith Jackson, yeah. So, you know, all of a sudden you're sitting with those two guys and, you know, 19 just turned 20 years old like where am i um so that that's when i started the rose bowl and um and we won that one we beat stanford as a little bit of a of an ugly game but ron dane won the heisman he was our tailback um he's two-time mvp in the rose bowl just 
just magical. It just was like, boom, all of a sudden you went from kid from North Dakota backing up, just trying to figure it out and, and figure it out if you play in the Big Ten to second team All-American to Michael Vick and Rose Bowl champion. And, you know, Keith Jackson had a line at the end. I, I ran in a touchdown you're referring to was um, just a quarterback sneak at the end of the game, but we converted a fourth down. We made a cu- couple plays, sneak it in, and Keith Jackson goes, Oh, nice. <laughs> Is that Brooks Bollinger? Remember that name, folks. You know, something like to that extent. And it's just kind of this moment when you saw it. It's like, that's freaking Keith Jackson talking about me. And so so it just went, boom. And, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, going into the next year, we were two or three in the country and, and had a good team coming back. And um, so, yeah, that was all my my first two years. And so just some key takeaways for our audience, I think there, right, is it doesn't sound like you were super heavily recruited in high school, right? Your journey just moved at a steady pace. There were some stops along the way, but you stayed consistent and you stayed ready. And when the time came, then it just blossomed and absolutely exploded for you. So young athletes, if you're listening and you may not be getting minutes this year or you don't like your situation. It's just the grass isn't always greener. We're seeing it with the portal. Like everyone's talking about all these transfers to different schools and the players that are doing well. Well, there's a ton of players you probably know better than me that are ending up in a worse situation. Right. And so we don't have enough time to figure out or talk about my thoughts on the portal and what they're doing <laughs> to college football. But I, I think the point that we're both making here is loving the game, staying passionate, staying consistent, and you don't have to run from every situation. Sure. There's times that it does make sense to transfer. Uh, it is very difficult for parents. I certainly am guilty of trying to keep up with the Joneses with four hockey players and creating some pressure on my kids. Like, Hey, if I'm getting up at 6am to drive you to an ice rink on a Saturday and your three brothers to three different ranks all over the, the Minneapolis area, like I want to see that effort. Uh, but what I've done now just recently is started to focus more on how they act around the house and less about how they are as hockey players. Like, are you making your bed? Are you investing in yourself? Are you journaling? Like some of these, disciplines that are going to really shape the rest of your life. And then a lot of that will naturally carry over to how you are as a teammate, how hard you work. Uh, So parents out there, it's not all about how they play in that tournament that you drove four hours for, and they didn't get the MVP focus on how they act around the house and how they treat their mother are really (laughs) our, our goals of, of what we're, we're after. So just, and kind of as we wrap up here, I do want to talk a little bit about your professional career. So you have some success at Wisconsin. Who drafted you? And just talk about your time as a professional. Yeah, so I want to say one more thing about kind of going back to to what you said. Um, I think I probably learned more what happened after that, that run than I did before. Uh, because, you know, sometimes, and I think this is really true to youth athletes and, and parents, is 
when you have success, it masks a lot of things. And especially when you have early success, it, it actually ended up delaying my development a little bit because I didn't really understand what made me successful. And, and to be honest, the, it was a lifetime of work for me and, and things that I was just naturally good at because of my upbringing and my development to that point. And then the stars had to align with my, my team and all that stuff. Right. I mean, especially in a team sport like this, but oftentimes we, I think we really lose and, and you say you don't call it failure, but whatever that adversity is, we lose celebrating that at a, at a young age because that really forces to your point, a kid to get intentional or any of us intentional about what you can control and what you're doing to develop you know, getting clear on your desired future state. And, and I watched, you know, Scotty Tolzien was a guy that came, you know, a handful of years after me and he didn't play until, you know, really his third year. And he, and he was low on the depth chart and he had to really work his butt off and get tight about what, what is going to make me successful? How do I need to develop? What are my strengths and weaknesses and what do I really want the outcome to be? And I, and I don't think we do, we let success mask a lot of those things. Um, so, and, and to your point, it's, it's, it's also, it's also the detachment of not letting those, those things define you, right? Because, because you've had that success. So whatever, whatever that might be, I think finding the ways to, to detach yourself from the outcome and really, really focus in on the process and the development, um, was it, was a key takeaway for me because I made more mistakes than I did, than I did nail it, uh, even though I had success at that time. But I'll jump into your next. So I was, I was a six round pick, um, by the New York. I, I didn't really know, like I, I ended up, you know, at the time I was the winningest quarterback in Wisconsin history, broke some records there, um, had a good career, although we never got back to, you know, the winning teams that we had or, or the kind of the Rose Bowl success in the rest of my time. So, you know, when I got done as a two-time captain, but I remember kind of our strength coach and people saying like, hey, are you going to give it a shot? Are you going to try and play? Uh, and I was like, yeah, you know, I'll go through it. I went to an all-star game. I trained for the combine, got invited to the combine, um, did all that kind of stuff. But I really didn't know if, if I'd get picked in the fifth round maybe or I'd be a free agent or I'd get a shot at all. So the Jets ended up taking me in the third – or sorry, the, the sixth round. Um, and really fortunate. I mean, I had Paul Hackett who, you know, was with Bill Walsh back with the Niners staff and, and then was, was in Dallas and had a, a great pedigree and upbringing, ran the West coast offense. And then Chad Pennington was a starter and Vinny Testaverde was the backup. So you're sitting in meetings every day with just a wealth of football knowledge. So a football junkie being able to, to listen and, and be a part of those conversations were, were outstanding um and time kind of went on and then my my third year chad got hurt it's kind of a funny story about being ready um i was a third string at the time so when you're a third string you don't do a ton in practice you don't get a ton of the even scout team reps oftentimes if any wants them so but you're still an active member you're still getting kind of the full salary the rookie minimum whatever and you're traveling and you're kind of on the squad. Well, 
the then there's the practice squad guys. So there at the time there were six or eight guys on practice squad. So they made a fraction of what everybody else made. They kind of worked, you know, Tuesday through Thursday or Friday, Tuesday through Friday, uh, and then they were they're kind of separate. They didn't go to the games. They didn't do any of that stuff. So they're making like ninety grand, and I'm making you know whatever four hundred grand, and there's two of these old linemen that are in practice squad. We train every every Tuesday was a day off. So we, we tried train with the practice squad guys and they're sitting there just got out of the, done with the workout. They're sitting at their locker and I walk around the corner and they're kind of laughing at me. And I'm like, what? I'm like, dude, you got the best job in the world. You get, you get a normal salary. You don't do a damn thing, you know, put a hat on, throw a dip in and stand around You're You know, you got the best gig. So we played Jacksonville that Sunday and, uh, Chad Pennington and Jay Fiedler tear their shoulder within six plays of each other. And uh, Chad ended up finishing the game, but all of a sudden it's next week we're playing at Baltimore in prime time. And this was the days of, you know, they were rolling. Dion was the nickel guy, Ray Lewis, Suggs, um, the whole crew. So I come around the corner one week later, and there's 40 media members standing at my locker. And I mean, the whole Sal Palantonio and all the top dogs. And I look over and those two guys are sitting there. I said, Hey, slappies, you guys still want my job? Because <laughs> you can have it um, if you want. So, so that's how fast it can change um, in, in that world. And, and being ready is uh, it's difficult to prepare, but, but it, you don't know when your time's going to come. So I, I started, um, uh, eight or nine games that year for the Jets. And it was, it was up and down. We had a tough, tough season. A lot of guys hurt and injury and, uh, but won a couple games and I think kind of showed. And then that's when Minnesota traded for me, um, in the off season, um, to back up Brad Johnson and, um, here a couple of years and then, and then went down and was part of the Jerry's world in Dallas and got to see that movie for a year or so. And I know you suffered some injuries right here in Minnesota, a couple. Yeah, I, I never had any huge injuries, uh, but yeah, a couple. Um, I, I had a couple kind of untimely things, um, you know, a shoulder and, and a knee that kind of kind of derailed me at the wrong time. But, you know, nothing that really totally upset my career or anything like that. Okay. So had some success in your professional career. And again, just being ready, you never know what can happen. Right. And that just doesn't apply in sports. It's in work. Also, you never know what promotion you're going to get, or if you're starting a business, just being ready for how to establish yourself is different from your competition it really comes down to the mindset and the preparation. And just as we close, so we talked about this at the beginning. And one of the things that I'm doing now with the House of Bricks is helping entrepreneurs grow and scale their business, but also working with college and professional athletes as a business advisor, telling them at some point, even in your with the best outcome, every athlete is going to need a resume at some point. Some point it's got to translate. And sure, there's the Connor McDavid making $100 million that hopefully lasts him a whole lifetime, but 99.9% .9 of athletes are not going to get contracts like that. They're not going to play 
more than five years. And so I'm bridging the gap between sports and business and helping them apply those, how to use the platform while you have it. People love sports. They love to help athletes, starting to build your network for life after the game, how to be a successful business person. And it carries over into all areas of life. So you've been able to make the transition from sports to business. What were some of the things that you wish you knew that you know now that during your sports career shortly after, what are some key things that you can tell today's athlete? Start early. Um, I, I think that uh, you're basically regrowing a whole brain, right? You're, you're starting back at zero and, and your whole perspective of the world, the whole way the world perceives you is going to be totally different. And you have to develop a whole different muscle group and and you have to train it and that takes time so the earlier you can start kind of developing your second brain alongside and and it's hard when you're playing i get that side of it because when you're playing you feel like you're cheating on yourself if you're not 100 percent dedicated to to your future as a player but um you have to invest in that person and that development and i would i say this all the time to guys i don't give a shit if you make $500 million. I don't care if you know you're set for the rest of your life. You got a life to live and you're, you're not going to want to be, um, well, 99.9% .9 of the guys, you're not going to want to just golf for the next 50 years. You're not going to want to just sit on your butt and travel. You're, you're that the way you're wired as an athlete is, is to, to win at things, to be competitive, to, to be active, to be out there. So, like there is no, I made it. You don't make it. It doesn't end. I, you know what? It's a, a, the one thing I've learned is, as I've been in this business, it's the exact same freaking thing with the business owners. Okay. That, as it is with the athletes, that's your identity. That's what you did. And then you think, Hey, once I sell this, then that's it. Then you sell it and you're like, well, now what am I going to do? And, and who am I? And what, 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 what is my contribution to the world? Is that it? That seems like a long time ago, you know, last year when I sold that thing. And now the business owners have a key advantage where they can take that skill set and, and whatever they did in business and usually directly apply it to the next opportunity, right? They can go do it again and then go do it again and then go sit on all these boards and they can advise companies and do all that kind of stuff, which is great. Athletes, if you haven't developed your kind of second brain and you haven't started to think about that and build a network around it, uh, it takes time. And, and most athletes forget that how long and hard they worked to climb the mountain, to be at the top of the mountain. And then they get done and they think, Hey, I got used to living at the top of the mountain. I'm going to jump over to this other mountain and be at the top of the mountain. No, you're not. You know, and you see so many mistakes happen because of that, right? Like they're trying to buy themselves a job, you know, and people want them for their investment or their money. And they think, okay, I'm going to be this sexy PE guy or real estate guy or whatever, because these are the guys I'm running with now because I've been at the top of the mountain. You ain't at the top of the mountain. You're at the bottom of the valley and you don't know a damn thing about how the world works. Right. And I'm talking to my former self. Okay. Yeah. So that was I'm the question. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not throwing stones. Right. But, yeah. but I, but I think the key to it 
is if you're willing to go back and have the courage and the humility to go down to that valley and humble yourself and learn and grind and put the same work in that you did back uh, when, when you were becoming an athlete, two things happen. One, you grow and develop um, that skill set, but you also remember that that's what you truly loved about sports. You loved the journey, right? You, you didn't just love being at the top of the mountain. You, you loved the journey, and, and a lot of guys, they, I think they get lost because they're not willing, because it, it ain't easy either, but they get lost because they're not willing to go back and immerse themselves in kind of that growth and development and that grind. And then, because I don't think an athlete's skill set, now, again, this is getting a little football, basketball, hockey, professionals, kind of the revenue generating sports, those, those of us, I don't think your skill set directly translates to where you need to enter the working world the things you develop ever says, Oh, you're an athlete, you're competitive, you're whatever. Yeah. But I also have all these other things that were built into me because of where I lived and how I was developed in that world that I need to reprogram and recondition. Now, if you go put that work in and you get to here or wherever that level is now, it's like a hockey stick because most of these people that, that have grown up in, in like this industry through, you know, firms or banks or CPA firms or they haven't had to they haven't had to do a Monday press conference in college they didn't have to deal with Terrell Owens in the huddle you know they didn't have to learn three playbook books in one year and 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 deal with with all those different dynamics that you had to deal with but th those don't translate when you're opening Excel and figuring out how to get a you know TPS report to the boss they don't they don't translate they're like hey nobody gives a shit nobody cares that you you know played against the Ravens 10 years ago. Like, doesn't matter. Yeah, and no, and that's what me and my buddies, they have a thing. It's like, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Now they will at some point. It's, you have a cool set of experiences like everybody else. But nobody, it, it's not, it's not getting you anywhere. It'll open some doors, but if you're not going to put the work in to, to have some substance and show up, it ain't going to matter. If you want to see how real it is, there's this app, I think it's called Cameo or something. And you can get like professional athletes to send you a video. You've got guys like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for a hundred bucks. He'll send you a happy birthday. So like, like you said, no matter how great you are, you're going to be forgotten at some point. And no matter how much money you make, either you're going to spend it or your kids spend it. So what is your purpose? What is your calling? And you talked about the Valley experience, which is what we talk about as well. Once you get to the top of the mountain, you're kind of like, what's next? And you learn the most through struggling. That's where the growth happens. So athletes out there, you're trying to make it. The more you struggle, the more you stay with it, the more you're going to grow. And just as we close here, just as a key takeaway for our audience and things that you're saying is surround yourself with people that are where you want to go. So if you are an athlete, surround yourself with the right advisors, financial advisor, any type of counselor or mentor, someone that's where you want to go. They can help accelerate your growth through the right mentorship. It's the same thing in sports. Like why do the greatest athletes in the world need a coach? Why does Michael Jordan need a coach? He's the greatest athlete to ever walk the face of the earth because the coach can see things that you can't see 
because you're in the game and he's watching the game. There are things that advisors can tell you and coach you in your finances and life that come from experience of has, having success. So that can shortcut some of your process by surrounding yourself with the right people. And so I am going to ask you a question because you are a quarterback. I'm going to ask you, why did the coach ask for 25 cents? Yeah. To get his quarterback. There you go. It's that simple. <laughs> I just teed it up for you. I kind of gave it away referencing you as a quarterback, but that's something dad, that, joke, dad jokes, part of the podcast all the time. We, we fit them in every once in a while. Yeah. So you can use that for free, go home and your kids will all say it's terrible, but hey, Adam, I'll say just kind of piggyback and again, on what you just said, I think a really, I think you nailed it with the wise counsel and, and finding the right people. I, I think one of the things that you should do a whole episode on is how do you find the right people? Uh, because I, I think being in, in this seat compared to when I was 25 and didn't know anything, it's, it's oftentimes hard to know who to trust uh, because of the lens of, so, you know, and, and you're kind of scared to ask questions because you don't want to show it or your ego won't let you realize what you don't know. And I tell guys all the time when I, if I have a prospective client that's been uber successful in business and, and been around the world and he's maybe mid fifties or early sixties, that process with him is long. He has a lot of questions. He meets with a lot of other people right? He doesn't just sit and, and say, Hey, take what I say as gospel. And, you know, so, so I think just, I don't have all the answers to that right now, but I, I think it's a really interesting topic because I, I didn't know how to do that. Right. And, and I, I think the, the lens and the way you see perceive the world, seeing you when you are playing and you're in the locker room makes it really difficult to select the right people to let in. Um, no, it's so, a great, it's a great point. I know. Are, are you working with some athletes now? And yep. Yeah. Less than I did, um, previously just, you know, based on kind of where I'm at now, but yeah, we, we definitely have, um, some athletes and some coaches as clients. So if people want to reach out to you, because again, you're speaking from experience, you've lived the process and now you've had some success having success after your career, you speak the language, whether, and again, whether you're a CEO athlete, it doesn't matter. We all go through different seasons in life and you've been able to make that transition and, and speak that experience. So how can people get connected with you if they want to learn more about what you do? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and, and I'm at Bell Bank, uh, on our, our website, um, at Bell Bank. I don't have a lot of other social media um, handles. So I'd say those are the two best places to, to track me down and, and get a hold of me. So it's easy. And the other thing I'd say is, you know, especially on the athlete side, um, you know, I, I, I love what you're like, what you're doing right now is I really enjoy building that community between the athletes and the business owners. There, there's so many similarities 
uh, and I think learnings from from both sides. Um, but you know, especially on the athlete side, I don't. I'm I'm not I'm I'm passionate about the finding a better solution to support athletes for the long term, right? Bigger than than my business or or gaining clients is is just building a community of of, of people that want to help support these guys uh, on the right path. So yeah, I'm always interested in those conversations. Well, we're going to post this event on LinkedIn also. So it'll be very easy for people to find you. And then we'll put your contact information in the show notes. So anyone that wants to reach out to you, I can tell you it will accelerate whatever it is that you're trying to learn and will help you prepare for the future. Uh, working with someone with like like you with your track record and experience. So Brooks, as we close up this episode, I want to thank you for being a guest on the House of Bricks. I know our audience will benefit greatly. Parents, business people, up and coming athletes, listen to advice. You don't know it all. And the more you listen, the sooner you listen, the faster you will achieve whatever outcome it is that you're going after. So Brooks, I want to thank you for being a guest on the House of Bricks. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.